Joy Sauce is a new American Asian media platform that makes space for vibrant, unforgettable stories full of nuance and contradictions seldom discussed in the mainstream, normalizing and celebrating Asian American presence in all facets of media. Enjoy the diverse tapestry of narratives that make up the American Asian landscape at www.joysauce.com. Hey everyone, it's David Chen, the host of the Culturally Relevant Podcast, and welcome to Culturally Relevant Conversations, a special collection of interviews from my podcast featuring Asian diaspora visionaries brought to you courtesy of Joy Sauce. Today, I'm going to be speaking with writer and director Zee Chun, although he's really like a multi-hyphenate. Zee Chun is the director of films such as Children of Invention and Cold Comes the Night. He's also a writer who's worked on Once Upon a Time and Gotham, and he's the co-founder of TKO Studios, a comic book publisher, as well as the showrunner of the upcoming HBO Max original series, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. Zee Chun recently directed an episode of the Apple TV Plus original series, Little America, entitled The Grand Prize Expo Winners. I was a big fan of the show. I recognize many elements of my own upbringing in the stories of these immigrants that are brought to life in Little America. So please enjoy my conversation with Zee Chun about his life, his career, and writing and directing an episode of Little America. This conversation was originally published in February of 2020. This is where we will live. Only in America. Only in America do you add tax after you see the ticket price. Only in America can such a perfect game exist. Baseball. Hamburgers. Cheeseburgers. Bacon chili cheeseburgers. <laughs> everything on top of everything. <laughs> Only in America. Economy value in how may I help you? I'm going to America soon. I'm going to be a Hollywood star. Zi Chun, welcome to Culturally Relevant. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So, Zi Chun, I usually like to ask guests about their breaking in story to start with. Uh, but I think I might have actually seen your breaking in story. Uh, <laughs> right. In 2009, you wrote and directed a movie called Children of Invention, which debuted at the Sundance Film Festival. I had a chance to watch it at the Independent Film Festival of Boston. Uh, can you tell us about how that movie came to be? And also, do you think it's the movie that allowed you to get a foothold in the industry? Yeah. Um, so I didn't go to grad school. I went to undergrad at Columbia for film studies. And when I graduated, I kind of just made a schedule for myself to write and direct a no budget short film every six months and then write a feature film every nine months. And I did that for about three and a half years and I made 12 short films and a lot of them were pretty bad. Um, but one of them I'm um, called window breaker got into Sundance. And that was kind of the first time I met anyone in the film industry. And my first feature, Children of Invention, which you saw, was actually a feature version of that short. So um, both those, uh, those movies, the short and the feature, were kind of um, the first time that I started meeting people in the industry. And it certainly allowed me to kind of like level up and uh, talk to pr producers and production companies that I, I didn't have access to before. You said uh, you made like a dozen short films of which uh, Window Breaker was, the, you know, one of the successful ones. Like, I assume it was one of the later one of the uh, dozen films you made? 
Yeah, it was the 11th short. So, and I've kind of, I've, I've, I've talked a little bit about this in the past and, um, you know, towards the end of making all those short films, I was, I was pretty discouraged. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think of this kind of dovetails with, um, the little America episode and also my first feature, which is really semi-autobiographical. And my, my mom is featured, you know, very heavily in both of them, um, as uh, inspiration or, um, in little America, the literal, um, subject matter. And, you know, I grew up watching her, uh, do cold calls for real estate, having to do multi-level marketing and just seeing her work ethic and her ability to, uh, receive constant rejections yet push through. Um, I think that that really taught me a certain way of going about, um, fighting my way into the film industry. Mm. And, um, I kind of felt like, well, if I can get a certain number of rejections, someone's going to eventually say yes. So, you know, is it, is it the typical way of going about things where you would make 12 shorts before getting your first one into a major festival? Probably not, but you know, I had to kind of learn the craft and I thought that one of my strengths was going to be the ability to just keep on making these things until something hit. So, um, you know, with window breaker, it was a no budget short. Um, it was $600. My mom is actually in the movie and, um, the crew was my producer who, when he wasn't acting in the movie, was holding the boom. And, uh, my, (laughs) my girlfriend now wife's little sister who was still in high school, um, was also, you know, part of the crew. So it was, it was, it was a labor of love. Um, and it taught me a lot of things about what was kind of valuable in terms of, um, what to do as a storyteller. Um, so like I said, I made 12 short films and the 11th and 12th one was window breaker and another one. Um, the other one was really designed to be a very like commercial sample. It was shot on 35 millimeter. Um, we raised money to make it. And it was really kind of poppy and it didn't get into any film festivals. Uh, whereas window breaker, um, you know, it ended up playing, I think 25 or 30 film festivals across the U S and I thought that was really instructive in that, you know, I made this thing to be really commercial and to be, to appeal to everyone. And yet the thing that was much more personal was the thing that um, got the most traction. Right. So that, that, the window breaker had a $600 budget. And then the other one, the, the one that you wanted to be more poppy, how much was that? What was the budget for that one? I, I want to say it was like, I mean, at the time it was like, it's, it felt like the most money in the world. But it was like, I think it was for like $6,000 or right. $7,500. You know, I had a great experience watching Children of Invention uh, because I think that was one of the first times I realized how different the level of hustle that an Asian American mom could could have from what my parents, like what their flavor of hustle was. My parents um, started and maintained a Chinese restaurant for almost 20 years. Oh, and wow. so, so that was like my, you know, like growing up, that was my experience of what the Asian American immigrant experience was. And like, I I didn't I don't think I even understood that like Asian Americans were involved in like multi level marketing or um, potential like scams, which I think is like part of the plot of that movie. Is like your your the the mother character in Children of Invention, which is loosely based on your own mom, um, is arrested for her involvement in uh, a multi level marketing scheme. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, kind of unbeknownst to her. Um, she's been involved in a in a multi level marketing scheme. And she is 
uh, taken in by the police and um, the children are kind of left to fend for themselves because the police don't know that the children are kind of living in this uh, kind of like rental apartment. Yeah. And was that like what what component of that was based on a true story? Um, It was a lot of it was based on just our normal everyday lives as we were growing up. And it's a it's it's covered a little bit in Little America as well, where, you know, my mom was always um, she was a single mom raising me and my sister. And so she always had a lot of irons in the fire. I think that she knew that, um, you know, she couldn't afford to have just one source of income um, in case that source of income fell apart. And so all while I was growing up, she was doing real estate and these kind of startup companies, um, basically anything that she could do to make enough money for our family, she would kind of dive in head first. And um, as a result, you know, my sister and I, you know, we were always very close to her um, and she was always a very loving and present mom. But at the same time, you know, we also had to grow up very quickly. And so that's kind of the 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 backdrop of that movie even if you know my mom was never arrested there's there's certainly things that were fabricated about about that movie you talked about how these short films that you made and children of invention the feature film like these were very instructive to you uh and they taught you a lot like what, what was something you learned from the making and releasing of those movies that has guided your other decisions in a big way um i think one of the things just creatively was, you know, I had gone, I had tried writing a number of different things. And for a long time, um, I was trying to write genre scripts, um, you know, horror, action, sci-fi. And then when Children of Invention and Window Breaker were the things that kind of broke out for me early on in my career, it was affirming in some ways to know that you could tell a personal story and still have it cross over to a certain extent. And what I tr- have tried to do since then is to return to some more genre um, writing and filmmaking, um, certainly in TV, as well as in my work at uh, TKO Studios, and try to bring that kind of very personal uh, storytelling to it. You know, I think that when people are first starting out, unless you're very confident about the type of stories you want to tell, which I was not when I started out, um, it is kind of a learning process to see what people respond to and also to to know where your strengths are um, as a writer and as a director. So from there, how was it that you moved towards writing on TV shows like Once Upon a Time in Gotham? Um, it was a situation where I was living in New York. I had made my first feature and I was waiting for um, my second feature, Cold Comes the Night, we were waiting for it to go into production. And it had taken a long time to get the financing together. And we were kind of in a weird holding pattern. So at that same time, um, my wife told me that she was pregnant. And basically, I was like, I don't know how to do a family in New York City um, on an indie filmmaker salary. And I also started had been thinking a lot more about television because... I had worked in television for about six months on a show uh, for ABC called Cashmere Mafia. And um, I had really liked the people that I worked with. And it was the first time, you know, coming from independent film, it was the first time I had seen uh, a different view of what the entertainment industry can look like. Because a lot of TV writers, um, 
you know, they work consistently. They are able to have normal lives. They don't have to go from festival to festival and always feel like, you know, you're kind of a starving artist. And so, um, and this was 2011 when um, I was starting to think about getting back into television. And also television was really interesting in that moment. It was just starting to look like there could be um, a lot of new uh, ways to tell stories on TV. Um, and so I just kind of, we just decided that um, I, would, I, I would start working more in television. Um, so I did the same thing I did with my short films. Um, I booked a ticket six months out from when we decided, and then I wrote three pilots during that time. And, um, you know, two of them never did anything, but one of them sold um, to CBS for CW. And that was kind of how I got my foot in the door as a, as a, as a solo TV writer. Because I had staffed before, but it was as a team, so I kind of had to start over. Amazing story. And so you, you came, you, you sold that pilot, and then that got you like attention, uh, presumably allowed you to kind of get into writer's, room for, uh, writer's rooms for these other, other TV shows. Uh, yeah, and, and it was certainly still a process. You know, one of the things I always talk about um, in terms of when I talk to younger writers and what it's like to get staffed is, you know, there were a lot of strikeouts, certainly. Uh, you know, even after selling that first pilot, it still still took me like a year, a year and a half uh, to get my first staffing job, which was once upon a time. What advice would you have for someone trying to take a, a similar journey to you? Like if you could go back and, and talk to your past self, what would you say? Um, you know, I talk to him and I mentor a lot of writers, um, either just uh, if someone reaches out or um, people ask me questions on Twitter. I'm very easy to find on Twitter. It's at the Z Chun. Uh, T-H-E-T-Z-E-C-H-U-N. And um, one of the things I talk about is, you know, it is hard to get staffed. You know, you're up against a lot of different people, um, you know, hundreds of people who all want this one entry-level position because they know that it's the gateway into uh, a career in television. And so what I would say is that you really have to be as active as possible in getting that first job. I think early on, I just said, okay, well, I have these agents. I'm just going to let them figure out what shows I'm good for and set me up for meetings. And as I've gotten older, you know, every time, so it took me about a year and a half to get staffed. And there was a lot of showrunner meetings that nothing came out of. Um, and um, what I've done differently now is every time I have to go out for staffing, I read all the pilots. I really, you know, I, I talk to my reps and tell them, which shows I'm most interested in and which shows I think I'm right for. And, you know, as a, as a first time staffer, I think the best advice I can give is to not leave everything to your reps to really try to steer the process and be active in that process. Were there any activities specifically that you found the most productive? Cause you're saying be active. I'm curious, like what, what, uh, activities were most fruitful in your opinion? Um, so I do a thing which has uh, now, which I do recommend to young writers, which is um, every before everything went down with um, the writers firing their agents, um, the agencies would always have every single pilot um, for every single year available on their FTP site. So what I would do is I would read all the pilots over the course of two or three days. Then I would make a spreadsheet with the pilots I thought I was right for, 
I would break down why I thought I was right for them. And I would also write down which samples to send and how to talk about that sample as it related to, um, to the show. So when I, f- when I was staffing after Once Upon a Time and I wanted to be staffed on Gotham, um, I had a pilot called Seven Deadly Sins, which has now been turned into a comic book through TKO Studios. And that is very much from the, it's a Western from the villain's point of view. And so I basically wrote, like, uh, I want to be staffed on Gotham. Um, it's, uh, I have a background in, uh, I, I grew up reading Batman. I love comic books. This is my sample. The way that Gotham um, very often is told from the Penguin or the Riddler or the bad guy's point of view. This is uh, a sample that does the same thing. So even though it's a Western, it's still action-oriented, it's still character-driven. And I found that in doing something like that, it really took a lot of the legwork uh, away from my agents having to do it mm-hmm. because they're always overwhelmed and they were always, you know, when staffing season comes around, they have to, they're dealing with now 500 shows and however many clients that they individually have and that the agency has in total. So just wanting to make sure that I made it as easy as possible to get to uh, to get to the front of the line when it came to staffing. Great insights. Really appreciate you sharing that. So let's talk about Little America. I'm pretty interested in how an anthology show like this comes together with all these disparate uh, writers and directors. Uh, the, the series was ostensibly based off of a collection of true stories from Epic Magazine, but my understanding is like not all the stories that are there are, are from Epic Magazine. So can you talk a little bit about how this opportunity first popped up on your radar and what was the creative brief for this show? Um, it came about in, honestly, one of the strangest ways possible because um, this is one of the only stories, I think maybe the only story that's not based on a pre-existing um, Epic Magazine interview. So I had... Uh, been set up by my manager to come speak to Epic Magazine, and it was really a general meeting where um, you know they're a publisher, and because of my work at uh, TKO Studios, like we also are publishing graphic novels, and they just thought that there might be a nice um, way for us to to talk about you know uh, you know books to film, or they had some projects that were open writing assignments that they were looking for a writer for, so. I went in, I was talking just generally about TKO, and they asked how I met uh, my co-founder. And um, I told this story, which is, um, I essentially met him on this cruise. And the story is that, um, you know, when we were younger, and I've kind of talked a little bit about our family situation growing up, but um, we didn't have enough money to go on vacation. So every year, my mom would bring us to the Vacation Expo instead, which is, um, it was in Bayside Expo Center in Boston, and it was uh, all these vendors advertising vacations. And the thought was kind of that instead of going on vacation, we could kind of um, experience what a vacation would look like (laughs) by looking at these um, vendors and, you know, flights to Tahiti or cruises or whatever it was, ski trips. So we would go every year and my mom, I don't know if it's just a personality thing or if it's because she's an immigrant, but she always likes to get places really, really early. So, um, you know, if we have to go to the airport, even now, like we, we have to go to the airport like four hours early. So one, one weekend, I was like 16, my sister was 12, and she woke us up at like 6 a.m. to go to the vacation expo. And we drove there, 
and there was a, a freak nor'easter. Like we didn't look at the the weather beforehand, and so it was like whiteout conditions. And we parked in the parking lot, and there was nobody there. It's like at this point, like seven a.m. The only people there are the vendors. So eventually, the doors open, and we kind of look around. There's no one there, and my mom just looked at us and was like, "Let's enter all the raffles." <laughs> and we entered all the raffles, and we won this luxury cruise. And we also won like a timeshare and like one other thing, but those things ended up being kind of scams. But, you know, we, <laughs> we, we won this cruise and we went on this luxury cruise. Um, so that's, so I told that story and they were like, wow, that sounds like an episode of the show we're doing with Apple called Little America. Do you mind if we pitch them that story? And I was like, I don't know, sure. And then like, <laughs> like four months later, I got kind of like a panic call from my agent being like, did you pitch an episode of Little America? And I was like, I don't, I don't, I guess so. I don't, I don't know. Why did someone tell you something? And they were like, yeah, you're meeting with Lee Eisenberg, the showrunner tomorrow. You got to tell him some more stuff. And then, you know, we're going to get the, it approved by Apple. So, um, yeah. And then I went in, I met with Lee and, you know, I think part of the process was figuring out how this was not just the story of, you know, a funny, weird thing that happened to my family, but, you know, what is the deeper experience that this speaks to? And, you know, in our conversation, even in that initial conversation with him, you know, we were kind of unearthing during this time, you know, I was 16 my sister was 12 and my mom and my sister and I were always very, very close as a family because, you know, she was a single mom, you know, she would always bring us places after work and we would go to her office and, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And she was starting to feel the effects of us kind of growing up. And then, you know, there's, there's a kind of reveal to her backstory in the course of the episode, which kind of ties into what she's going through emotionally. And, and, and hopefully that was something that, you know, we wanted to kind of tell a story that was um, specific to her, but also was a universal story as uh, a parent, something that you go through when your kids start to grow up. I, I love so many aspects of that story. It, it reminds me of the episode itself, obviously. The, the part about taking you to Bayside Expo Center, which, by the way, I've been to before. <laughs> I grew up in Boston as well. Yeah. And to, like, it's not amazing. To, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not like a very, it's not like a, uh, a super glamorous uh, Expo Center, but it's like this, um, this kind of simulacra of uh, a vacation. If you don't have... Uh, a lot of money, you have to kind of take the simulation instead of the actual yeah. thing. You, um, you know, one of the things that they did was um, they kind of, after it was clear that we wanted to do this as one of the episodes, um, they did interview my mom at length. And it was really interesting uh, hearing about the cruise and also her backstory from her point of view, speaking to someone that wasn't us, because you know, we had always heard the stories of what her life was growing up, and we obviously were there on the cruise itself. But to hear about her experience as she's talking to some third party was really interesting. And and the thing about the the what you're talking about with the the simulation of vacation, there was one story that she told, which I think really stuck with the interviewer and the producers and 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 me as well. Was when she first came to the U.S. And she didn't have money to go eat in the school cafeteria. Instead, what she would do is she would go and stand in front of the menu, which was, you know, uh, on the on in, in, on a banner in front of, you know, where you would order. And she would just stand there and kind of imagine what it was like 
to eat every single thing on the menu, and then she would feel full, and then she would kind of walk away and then go home, which I thought was such a interesting. Uh, it's, it's kind of that that kind of character moment, or those types of character moments are, are really what we were trying to get to yeah. in our Little America episode. All right, so let me get this straight, Z. You basically went to go to Epic Magazine to talk about something completely unrelated to Little America, something related to your uh, TKO uh, uh, Studios comic book publishing company, and they asked you, how'd you meet your co-founder? And you said, on this cruise. Then you told the story of the cruise, and then they were like, hey, we should make a TV episode on, you know, uh, Apple TV Plus about this, basically. Is that how it went down? Did I get it all right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, they were looking... <laughs> I think they were specifically looking at some open writing assignments and looking for a writer for it. And it was just through the conversation that I kind of mentioned this comic book company because, you know, they, they also publish books. So, yeah, it was it was so random. And, um, I, I mean... It was it was so random and lucky. I feel so lucky that you know we got to tell this story in this way. So uh, you had already at this point made a film that was loosely based on your childhood with your mom in it, um, and now you have this little America opportunity. Uh, you know, I've seen Children of Invention. I watched this. I think they're very different. But I'm curious, like, was that on your mind, like that you wanted it to be like a really different slice of your childhood growing up? And if so, how did you approach that? Well, I think that one of the things that is is so different is, you know, when I made Children of Invention, um, a lot of that movie is from the kid's point of view. And part of that was that I I wasn't a parent at that point. Um, Now I'm a a parent. And also we wanted to make sure that this, you know, all of the Little America episodes are really from an immigrant's point of view. And so that's why we've really focused this episode on my mom's character and you know, my sister and my character that were in it, but were, were not the main characters. And so you know, to be able to tell this story from her point of view felt very different than Children of Invention. And also, you know, Children of Invention was on such a shoestring budget. Um, and to be able to tell a movie where I tell a story uh, with partners like Universal and Apple um, at the budget level that we were talking about, it really freed us up to do certain things. I really loved seeing um, many aspects of my childhood reflected in the the story of uh, of your episode. Um, there's the moment where your mom drives up to school in like what like a really terrible looking car, which reminded me of the Toyota Corolla my dad drove for like 15 years when I was little. And then she's forcing um, her children to drink broth before they go to school, which like, I don't know what it is with like Chinese moms being obsessed with broth, but that's like a very common Yeah, all thing, the right? nutrients in the broth. <laughs> it's the always, nutri- a, yeah, all the nutrients <laughs> in the broth. They're just super into broth is really uh, what I've learned over time. But- it's just because... Because uh, my wife, my wife has asked sometimes, like you know, because now we have kids. So like, oh, what did you eat when you were growing up? And I was like, honestly, every morning, <laughs> I would have a giant glass bowl of broth with rice and bok choy in it, and that would be sitting on top of a Pyrex plate on my lap, and that was what we would eat on the way to school. <laughs> She's like, oh, really? We just ate omelets and pancakes and stuff like that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, I think one of the things about growing up as an immigrant in America that I like appreciate more now is like when you grow up, you don't really realize 
the set like for me at least i didn't really fully realize the sacrifices my parents had made to get to the point of where i was as a child you know what i mean like it's not until you're older and you realize how difficult it is to move to another city let alone another state or country that you realize like how challenging it must have been for them decades ago and I, I'm curious, like, how did you first learn about your mother's experiences coming to America? Did she just tell you at some point? Like, h- how did it manifest itself to you as you're growing up? I think as we got older, um, you know, we would start asking more questions. And, you know, I don't remember the initial piece of it, but, you know, I think it just kind of came out of us asking. And, and she was very open about everything. You know, I know there's stories about... Asian parents who don't really like to talk about the past because, you know, and, and I totally understand if it was very hard and painful to come to this country, yeah. there's a certain level of discomfort. And especially when you're talking with your kids and showing that kind of vulnerability, I, I totally understand parents who don't necessarily want to talk about it. But my mom was very open about it. And also, you know, to be honest, we were there for a lot of seeing that struggle when we were growing up and she was working and how hard that was, and you know, um, but even, you know, eventually we went to on a trip to Chicago, um, which is where she first landed. She was going to school at the time. And, um, that was where it was really amazing. We would walk down the street in Miracle Mile and, and she would kind of start telling us about what it was like for her when she first came to the U S and, um, Literally every restaurant we passed, she'd be like, oh, that used to be a Stouffer's. I was fired from there for this or the other reason. <laughs> and like, we, you know, we, it was a half hour long walk. And she pointed out 15 places that, you know, she got a job there. She couldn't speak English. She didn't know how to do anything. Um, and she would just work there until she got fired. And then she would that same day just go and apply for another job. And it was really amazing just to see that one strip, you know, it's like a you know, mile or two long is like just it's like a diary of like if if something bad happens you just have to get right back up and you know and it was always something she was like i i i made a milkshake without putting the cover on it and destroyed that kitchen <laughs> or like you know it was they were all like very funny um but i i think it was really inspirational to hear how she would you know i think just that kind of level of grinding and and knowing that you'd be you know, that your next job probably wouldn't last for very long because you weren't trained and you couldn't speak the language, but you needed to have a job. So you were just going to continue to go get one. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about your uh, your mom, but one other question about Little America as a whole, which is how did they go about unifying the look and feel of of the shows, was there like a like a lookbook or something like that where like the show should look and feel like this with these kinds of edits and the, you know like how how did they approach kind of unifying the dis, the, the disparate episodes? Um, there there wasn't really um, a directive in terms of that. Um, in terms of the look of it, it was certainly something I asked early on, and they said it's it's okay if every episode looks different. So. Um, I had actually not seen any of the episodes until they came out. Um, I had read the scripts for um, two of the episodes. And so I kind of had an idea of the tone of them. But even those two episodes were very different. It was The Rock episode and The Manager. Mm. And um, The Rock, the script was was a little bit more um, funny and quippy. And The Manager was more tear-jerky. So 
it, it, I kind of felt like, and it was also that, um, you know, our cinematographer who shot my episode only shot my episode. It's an incredible undertaking that the producers, uh, did making this show. Like it's essentially creating eight different pilots with eight different casts. Uh, no, no sets that are shared yeah. I mean, from a production standpoint. It is such a gargantuan undertaking that it's a miracle that, uh, and I mean, they're all really, really good at what they do, but I was just incredibly impressed by, um, you know, the, the production itself and the fact that they were able to get, you know, these great eight episodes out of it with just production being as difficult as it inherently is when you're making an anthology. So, um, but yeah, I was given um, pretty free reign in terms of the 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 kind of the, the look of it, and you know, to some degree, the tone as well. Mm, interesting. Well, it, it does all still feel like a unified whole um, from my perspective. So I think that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Um, there is a part of your episode that I, I'm going to kind of spoil. So if you haven't watched Z's episode yet, just skip ahead for like uh, the next one or two minutes. But I did want to ask, you know, there is a reveal towards the end of your episode. Uh, what I understand from seeing it is that, like, your mother was given up by her family back home in order to be adopted by a family in the United States. Is that correct? Um, we only were able to break off a very small part of her backstory because, you know, it, it's, it, it is somewhat complicated. But in, in her true backstory, it or her full backstory, rather, because um, the backstory in Little America is, is just a, one piece of it. Uh, she was born into a very poor family in Singapore, and she was given away at birth. And she was sold a couple times to different families, and they always said that she was lucky because um, a lot of the people who would buy her were people, couples who wanted children but could not conceive. And a couple times when she had been with them for six months or a couple years, they would become pregnant with their own child and they have to give her up. And so it was just from poverty and Singapore being a, a third world country at I that see. time. Got it. Um, so what you're seeing in the episode is a family that she's been with for a couple of years. Um, but you know, you kind of assume that they're her, her real family. And at the, at the end you see her given away, uh, and sold to, uh, a, a different, a different woman. It kind of plays as either elsewhere in Singapore or in Hong Kong. Wow. Uh, so, and it sounds like it happened like multiple times too. Like I would think like once would be like really traumatizing, but in reality it, it, it happened repeatedly. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I think that that's one of the things I find so interesting about my mom because my mom was, is, was so loving to us when we were kids and always very, very supportive of us. But I also think for her, until she had her own family with her own kids, that was the first time that she um, experienced a specific type of stability that, you know, if you grow up in a family where you're not given away, you know, the, you, you have that stability. But it wasn't until she had kids of her own that um, she was able to have a family that she really felt like she was a part of and was a part of her. Well. It's a it's a great piece of work. Congrats on making it, and people can watch Little America and your episode right now on Apple TV Plus. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple other things real quick. Uh, first of all, you have now gone from working on Little America to you're making an animated series for HBO Max called uh, Gremlins: Secrets of the Mogwai. Feels like quite a tonal change. 
from <laughs> yeah. this episode of television. Uh, so what can you tell us about working on Gremlins and and how do you navigate working in like such a different both like story and media than uh, what this episode was? Warner Brothers Animation had had the idea that they wanted to do a Gremlins animated prequel series uh, that starred the you know, the old Chinese shopkeeper from the beginning of Gremlins, uh, Mr. Wing. They wanted to tell a back, a backstory for how he met Gizmo in China in the 1920s. And so, you know, I'd come in and it was an open writing assignment and I pitched on it. I had a take on it that was um, very serialized, which is what I, I like to do, um, and incorporated all of the Chinese myths and creatures and spirits that I had grown up you know, reading about whether or, or watching um, on Chinese television. And, um, you know, it's going to be a 10-episode series. It's not going to come out for a while because it's animated, but uh, it's really fun. It, you know, it, in, in some ways, the creative process is a lot like live action, and in some ways, it's nothing like it. But um, when I went in to meet on it, you know, I in, in terms of how I got the job, I was, you know, I, I have a... a a background of watching and knowing about these, uh, about Chinese mythology, just from, you know, my mom, and, uh, and reading like journey to the West and watching the old TV show when I was a kid. And, um, you know, I also had a background in, uh, telling stories visually from my comic book side of things. And I think those two factors together, um, really allowed me to, to go in and pitch confidently and, and get the job um, for the show. Um, but it is very different. You know, there, it's, uh, there's a lot of technical aspects of it because we're doing some things in animation um, that are different than what's out there right now. Um, it's a hybrid format between CG and 2D, and I've had to learn a lot of the technical side of things. Um, but from a storytelling perspective, it's still you know, a, a coming-of-age story for these characters. Um, it's a story about friendship, uh, and it's a big, fun, epic adventure that has some horror and comedy. And it actually, even though it's so different from something like Little America, which is so slice of life, um, it did combine a lot of the things that I, I really enjoy. And, um, you know, it's one of the fun things about TV now, I think, is there's so many different types of TV shows out there uh, that if you have a lot of different types of storytelling that you're interested in, um, there's the ability to, to go different places with different um, networks and studios that are really trying to find something new um, and trying to do something different than what's out there right now. All right. Well, people can look forward to watching Gremlin's Secrets of the Mogwai when it comes out in uh, 2021. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, on HBO Max. Z Chen is a director of films such as Children of Invention and Cold Comes the Night. He's also a writer who's worked on Once Upon a Time in Gotham. He's the co-founder of TKO Studios, a comic book publisher, and he's the showrunner of the upcoming HBO Max original series, Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai. Z Chen, thanks for joining us today to talk about Little America on Apple TV+. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun.